This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Uh, If you will stand with me as we read this psalm together. It's a short one. We just sang it together. We're going to read it together and uh, stand to honor his word this morning. Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray again, Jesus. We just pray that your word and your truth, um, Lord, that it arrive and land on our hearts through the eyes that you've given us to see you in this text, and through the ears you've given us to hear your truth in this text. And Jesus, we just pray as we submit ourselves to you this morning um, that your gospel, your promises, your promises in the wholeness of this psalm uh, just land sweet on our tongue today and just land convincing on our hearts of the goodness and mercy that you extend to us that has no expiration date. And Jesus, we love you and we thank you. That's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Um, it's good to be with you today. We do have uh, the baptistry open today and uh, next week as well. In fact, um, this one lands especially sweet for me this morning as uh, Gwendolyn and Charlotte, my two, my two stepdaughters, are going to be baptized in the second service uh, at 1030 service today. And so that's a, it's a day we've been looking forward to. Yeah, right on. Next, and next week we have some more lined up. And, and listen, like this is, you don't have to go through some big um, reservation RSVP policy to be obedient to Jesus. If this is something that you feel like you need to do in obedience to Christ, we don't have to go with the scheduled times, okay? Like we, we have it available at the end of this service and next week, somewhere in between the weeks, we can do anything you want to, to, to meet you in that obedient step upon your belief uh, to be baptized into the family of God. And, and so this morning, we're going to look at so what promises are extended to that family that we see here at the end, the conclusion of Psalm 23. Um, Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. When I think of the concept of following, my mind can go uh, a lot of different places. You know, and sometimes if I'm honest, when I think about following, following can have a a little lag to it. Uh, If you remember, there was a day, now some of you all in this room are going to be like, there's no way. I, I can't imagine driving or living in that era. But if you, some of you in this room that are dated like me, remember that there was a day that used things like maps and atlases and not GPS devices. In fact, I remember when uh, I got my, my dad bought me when I was in college a Magellan GPS because our phones weren't there yet, right? Like our, our phones weren't quite there yet in terms of the smart capabilities. And I had a suction cup to the windshield Magellan GPS. And here was the zinger. If you didn't have it updated, it freaked out on you. You know, like if you were on like a new road that had been built like somewhere in the last 25 years, which Magellan apparently did not know, uh, he was a much better explorer than he was a, trans- or a technology device. Um, it would freak out on you. And, and one of the things that I remember from, from the era of having to print out MapQuest and having a three-wing binder in your car, or if you were a AAA member, rich enough to be a AAA member and had a trip tick, okay, some of you are like, I know what that is. Okay, if you, were, if you had that, like, 
maybe you were able to get where you needed to go in a timely manner, but for me, following a map had some lag to it sometimes. It wasn't as direct. There wasn't as much instant rerouting and instant compliance as we see on our phones today. You might have seen some lag to that concept of following. Um, Or if you're a parent and you've given instructions to your kids, sometimes you might see some lag when it comes to your kids following the instructions that you've invited them to follow or suggested or commanded that they follow. Um, There's some lag to what they want to do. I know for us, um, especially at at dinner time, like dinner time seems to always interrupt the height of our fun part of the day in an afternoon. It's like it's, if we're going to have dinner at six o'clock, it's like it's at 559 that the neighborhood friends have wound up on our trampoline. And how dare we suggest that at six o'clock it's dinner. So the jumping is happening outside in the backyard and the friends are laughing and all this stuff. And we're like, hey, dinner's ready. And there's some lag to it when it comes to getting around the table. Or if you've ever gone on like a family trip, uh, I, I know we went to, got the chance to, to go to Disney World earlier this year in February. And, you know, uh, GP, actually Disney even has its own kind of GPS and its app. And, and I remember being out in front and, you know, you're looking at all, you're looking at the wait times. And if you're anything like me, I'm looking at the wait times on the app and my heart is grieving more and more and more. It's like, I'm going to stand in line for three and a half hours for this, you know, like what? And I'm trying to beat and, and navigate around and I'm like a man on a mission. And I look back and my family following me is lagging far behind. Um, and and if, you're not, if we're not careful, we'll think that goodness and mercy, it's there, but it's in the distance. That it lags in its following of us. But this is not the word that David uses here in the psalm. He doesn't use the word follow like we would think of someone lagging behind. He actually uses a word that would be a lot more synonymous with another word in our language that would be like hunt or pursue, or chase, or track, that everywhere you go, you're a shepherd, and my shepherd is chasing you with goodness, chasing you with mercy. Uh, Lately, I have found that a common prayer in my life, as I know that I've interacted with people that maybe don't know Jesus the way I know Jesus, is that the goodness and mercy that God chases me with gets on them a little bit. To, to pray that even my presence or, or my family's presence or, or if I'm with, uh, with another believer, that our presence in, in the life of somebody that doesn't know Jesus or is yet to know Jesus, that the goodness that God promises to pursue me, that they get to experience that in our relationship. I'm a preacher's kid, right? I remember growing up in church and, and the church I grew up in had a little different vibe than Com City. All right, like we had organs and choirs and um, and, and one of the staples as a preacher's kid that you had to endure were the many um, hugs and, you know, people like pinching my cheeks on my face and, you know, t- talking to me as if they're my grandparents or in some cases my great-grandparents. Uh, and, and I remember that there was always a specific squad of elderly ladies that I used to avoid in church. And the primary reason was not just their hugs, but with their hugs, came the overwhelming aroma of their perfume from 1961. You know what I'm talking about? Like the kind of perfume that just smells like funeral home, you know? And, and like anytime they would hug me 
Anytime they would hug me and, you know, treat me very familiarly like I was one of their family, I would end up bouncing on down the hall, like smelling the different parts of my shirt as to why it smells like the potpourri on the back of the toilet. And I'm like, I need to get this off. Like it is rubbed off on me. And for me, that's one of the greatest analogies of my prayer that when I'm with people that don't know Jesus, that, that the goodness of God have a, an aromatic effect, not that they just experience, but that they get on them and that it becomes part of their life, even if it's annoying at first, that they, that they come to the understanding that goodness and mercy are wanting, desiring to pursue them as well. As we look um, into to this tub, as we look to the, to the people that will profess their obedience or, or commit to their obedience and their profession of their faith um, this week, next week, weeks to come, whether it's my girls or, or somebody else, uh, it's also the, the confession that they're signing up to have a lifetime and actually an eternity full of goodness and mercy following them and pursuing them. This week I got to be a camp pastor at a camp. Um, there's, it's a camp in Kentucky. It's in two different places. One's in Jonathan Creek. It's called Crossings. One's in Cedarmore. It's called Crossings. I got to be the camp pastor there this week and got to see dozens of students for the first time put their faith and trust in Jesus. And the confession of their agreement that God's work on the cross was for them is also the application of a promise that goodness and mercy is never not going to hunt them down. In Psalm 84, a few Psalms after what Brian, a few chapters after what Brian read earlier, it's a Psalm not written by David, but it holds the same sentiment that the Spirit would, would lead us to understand that it is lovely to, to be in the dwelling place of God as, as we see goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That It says, the Psalm says, my soul, soul longs for a day in your courts, for a day in your presence is as if a thousand days elsewhere, even other enjoyable places elsewhere. We all have a desire to be home, don't we? If you've ever been gone on a long trip, there is something about the call of your own bedroom, of your own bathroom, of your own comforts of your home that just like draw you back. Now, I know that we can all get stale in the routine of our lives and even of our house and it'd be like, okay, I need a change of scenery. You know, like if any of you guys were more, really, I guess all of us, and we were in that season of lockdown and, and if you had um, to be quarantined at all over the last couple of years, it's like, I got to get out of the house, right? Like I got to get, I got to get out of this place and to experience a little change of scenery, like our lives in this venue of this world sometimes want a change of pace and a change of scenery. Sometimes we want a break, but the Psalms suggest that we will be given a confidence and an emotion that accompanies our forever dwelling with the Lord that never gets old. You know, one of the things I got to do this week at camp was I got hit with the Q&A or the FAQ questions, the frequently asked questions, um, some hot topics on faith. And, and, you know, you always get like kind of the same uh, rhythm of questions. But one that I feel like I always get is what's heaven going to be like? And I mean, we can read sections in the scripture that depict heaven. We can, we can describe glorious truths of heaven. We can do our best to articulate and apply um, some of the future vision of heaven from, from people like Daniel or for people like John uh, and the book of Revelation. But uh, the details of heaven, I I'm not, don't know. I don't know yet. 
I don't know all the details. I know some, the scriptures tell us some, they, they certainly paint the picture of what it's going to be like, but here's the detail I'm most confident in. It'll feel more like home than any place I've ever experienced. It will be exactly where we're supposed to be. It will feel as if we were meant and created to be there. Now, David penned this psalm. We talked last week uh, as we talked about him uh, preparing a table and a banquet feast. David penned this psalm, I believe, at some point in his palace days. But I'm not sure if it was uh, the reflection of this verse, from verse 6, was the reflection of a story David experienced or a, or a fuel for a story that we see in the Word. But I want to take you, if you've never been there before, to 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It is an obscure little story about David's life in the palace. And we're not going to read through the text. You can use it as context. The 13 verses that are there, you can use it as context and, and certainly like kind of skim over it. I'm just going to kind of storytell it for us today. David had been king of Israel. And when the king takes his reign and takes his leadership uh, in, in almost every era of dynastic reign, whether it was in places like China or, or you know, uh, places like Rome or places like Israel, it was very common for a king to kind of rid the area of anyone left from the previous king, kingdom or the previous kingship. So if the previous king still had family members kind of hanging out, that felt like they were uh, maybe entitled to the throne, the new king would either imprison them or kill them to just go ahead and kind of snuff out any coup or uprising or, or you know, attempts to take the throne that now he set on. And so this is really common practice. And so David asked one of his servants, are there any family members of Jonathan left in the kingdom? Are there any family members of Jonathan left in the kingdom? Now, if you know anything about David and Jonathan, David and Jonathan were BFF. They were besties. And Jonathan was Saul, the previous king's son. And David took Saul's throne. And so David had made a promise to Jonathan in the season that he was avoiding the wrath of Saul that, uh, that if, if Jonathan had any sons or, or any family members left, that he would show them favor. He had made that promise. Now, this is a very odd promise to make to the member of the former king kingdom, to the, to, the, to the member of the family of the former king. It's a very odd promise to make. But Jonathan, if, if you were to read through the history of David and Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan ended up dying in a battle. And so David held this promise extended to Jonathan's family. And he says to his servant, are there any members of Jonathan's family? And I bet the servant in his mind kind of closed the circle. was like, oh yeah, he's going to you know, like going to kill them. It's going to be it. And then David finishes the sentence so that I might show kindness to them so that I might show kindness to them. Then the servant replies, well, there's, there's one, he's crippled. Now, if you were to re read in second Samuel nine, they don't even say his name. They say his affliction, he's crippled. And then the servant says, and he's from Lodobear which in Hebrew literally means he's from a pastureless place. It means pastureless. There's nothing that can rest or be or grow or, or come to life where this crippled grandson of Jonathan is from. And somewhere along the lines, I guess David heard, it's not told us when he, when he heard, somewhere along the lines, I guess his servant finally gave him the name of Jonathan's grandson, Mephibosheth or Saul's grandson, I'm sorry, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. 
And David, upon hearing of him, asked him to come to the palace. Now, again, let's put yourself in the shoes of Mephibosheth. If he's crippled, it's likely that he's um, a beggar. It's likely that he is laid up in a place where his only provision is what people would happen to give him from a sake of like uh, charity or welfare. And, and, and he is, sees the king's chariot with all the flags and all the guards come rushing up. And, you know, a servant or a spokesperson of the king come walking out of the chariot. And Mephibosheth's mind has to go to, it's been nice knowing you guys, right? Like, I'm getting ready to be cast away, put away. Like, even though I can't even, even attempt an uprising or a coup because I am, am lame in both feet, I guess it's been a fun ride thus far. And yet when he goes to the palace, it's not the judgment of the king that he's met with. It's the favor. It's the goodness. It's the mercy of the king that he's met with. And there are two verses in there that depict what Mephibosheth got to do as daily practice. It said that every day he dined at the king's table. This kind of attaches us back to Psalm 23, 5, that there's a table set up for, for us. There's a table set up for us so we can enjoy the presence of God. And the very last verse of, of 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 13 said, Now Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, and he always ate at the king's table. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem and he always ate at the king's table. And then there's one little sentence at the end. Now he was lame in both feet. Now that sentence is in there to remind us that there was no earning of his spot at the king's table. There was no way that he could get there on his own. Chances are he couldn't even walk there. That someone had to bring him and position him at the king's table every day. And you got to think, oh, Mephibosheth, he, once he was invited there, you got to think he never, ever, ever wanted to leave that. Now, I got to preach this a minute this morning, all right? Because Mephibosheth has the constant reminder of his affliction at the king's table. But if we were to read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and we were to spend some time there this morning, we would see that when goodness and mercy pursue us and invite us to a table, like, like it says in verse 5, that we can enjoy the presence of God, our affliction doesn't come with us anymore. We were an old person before we were in Christ, but in fact, our belief in Christ makes us a new person. And the only person at our table whose affliction is on display is the lamb that was slain. That's the only one. There's only room for one set of scars at the king's table with us. And those are the scars that said it's by his stripes that we find our healing. We don't carry our affliction anymore. Rather, we carry the righteousness of God that he has exchanged for the affliction of our sin and shame to be put firmly and forever on him. Now, I remember when I first got to that table, I was six years old. I don't know that I have a ton of memory or recollection of, of, you know, exactly applying 2 Samuel chapter 9 or, or, or Psalm 23, 6 to my six-year-old life. But here's what I do know, that even at six years old, God pulled out a chair for me to belong at his table. Now at six, my palate was a little different. I don't know if you've been around too many six-year-olds, but um, they probably don't, they probably would uh, turn their nose up at a Michelin star restaurant. You know, it's like, um, that's, you know, that whatever's on that plate is good and all, but I'm, I'm down with the chicken nugget that looks like a dinosaur, if anybody has that as an option. You know, my palate as a six-year-old and my palate as a 37-year-old has certainly changed. But one thing that's not changed is the presence of God 
and the promise that his goodness and mercy have followed me and chased me down and pursued me and invited me every single day of my life. My palate changing is a good thing. I can taste sweeter things now having walked 31 years with the Lord than I did at six. I can experience a new level of faithfulness. I've, I have tasted and seen, as the psalmist would write, that he really is good. Last night, we got to preach a sermon to close out camp, and, and I went back and was standing in the back, and um, the worship that last week, the, last week was done, led by, the, or the singing worship was led by a group out of Cedarville University called Heart Song, and um, they were leading this song at the end. Um, some of you guys may have heard it. It's a, it's a fairly common, commonly heard song these days on radio or Spotify playlist or whatever. It's called Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And I sat in the back and was just like, all of those sentences are my confession. And I know them now differently as somebody that's journeyed with Jesus for a while than I did at six years old. And I just found myself like weeping that Christ alone is my plea. Like that's all I've got. And, and, and celebrating his faithfulness. I had even this sermon in mind of celebrating his faithfulness, of his goodness and his mercy on display. And what kind of king does that? What kind of king takes our affliction and says, I'll be the one to wear it, to sit at the table? And why? Why would David show favor to Mephibosheth? And why would Jesus show favor to us? Well, we find the answer by looking forward from this verse in Psalm 23 and, and that moment in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we find the answer by looking forward to John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does something. He lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and he leaves and flees. And the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. He's an employer, employee. He cares nothing about the sheep, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, which means future sheep. I have other sheep that aren't part of this fold yet and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay my life down so that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my father. So the same shepherd we see that makes for you green pasture, much like he took Mephibosheth from a pastureless place and gave him green pasture. This shepherd that leads us beside still waters and restores us. This shepherd that leads us in paths of righteousness, not for our name's sake, but for his name's sake. This shepherd that accompanies us in comfort in the midst of our darkest valleys. This shepherd that says, I don't want to just sustain you, but to satisfy you is the same shepherd that lays down his life and does so at his desire for us. Why would the king show us grace? Why would the good shepherd do that for us? Because it's his joy to love his sheep to the glory of his own name. In Romans chapter 8 verse 32 it's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Do you want to know why you get to claim and grab hold of every promise that we see in Psalm 23? Because he did not spare his own son. And he gave him up for us. Mephibosheth experienced 
the kindness of the king for all the days of his earthly life. So he every day, always ate at the king's table. But you and I, for those of us that follow Jesus, get to experience the goodness and kindness and mercy of the Lord, not just the days of this earthly life, but for eternity. I mentioned earlier that I remember my first time of sitting at the king's table. And I can tell you story after story where I have dined there in seasons that I doubted my ability to be there. I've dined there in seasons that um, I would turn my nose up at what God had to offer. I've dined there and found myself there at seasons where it was the sweetest thing I've ever tasted. I have dined there. But here's the truth. The chef was always, always consistent to put his sustenance and his goodness and his mercy right in front of me. And I hope, I hope that we could uh, go around the room, so to speak, and be able to say, I remember when I first got to the table. I remember the, I remember the meal that, that hit my famished and hungry and starving mouth the most. I remember the time that I felt the most satisfied and satiated at the king's table. I remember the time that I, that I you know, wolfed it down even though part of me doubted, even though part of me struggled. I remember the time that I didn't have anywhere else to go and, and that, was the, that was the meal that sustained me. We could go around the room and not just recount Mephibosheth's table, table living. We could go around the room and talk about what, what, all, what it means for all of us to dine forever and to live forever and to dwell forever in the house of the Lord. And if you don't have that experience, I got to have a moment to say this. If you, if you feel like, gosh, I don't, I don't know that I know that, you can. You can taste it for yourself. You, you, God, Jesus, the work of Christ on the cross has already pulled out a seat for you and says, this one has your name on it. If only you would take it and taste and see that he really is good. We're going to do communion later. That's, that's a moment where we come and take and eat and, and remember. But if you're not a follower of Jesus or have yet to be, become a follower of Jesus, this is not the meal I'm talking about taking. The meal I'm talking about taking is the one you're invited to, the one that, that goodness and mercy that's been hunting you down would invite you to sit at and dine at and take and eat and to claim the promise that he's going to continue to pursue you all the days of your life and that you have a welcome invitation to dwell forever in the house of the Lord because of the finished work of Jesus. Now, if we claim this promise that we're going to be at the table all the rest of our days, I said earlier, we have to look ahead to John chapter 10. We actually have to look ahead to something that hasn't happened yet, but we are certain is going to happen in Revelation chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. This is going to be kind of how we come to a close today. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst anymore. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. And then check out verse 17, if you happen to have your Bible open. Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Surely goodness and mercy certainly follow us all the days of our life, but also for eternity. And that forever promise that's made, that forever seat saved, that forever banquet prepared, and that forever presence promised comes to us because, as the Lord says in his word in Luke chapter 12, it is his good pleasure to invite us into the kingdom. So in light of that this morning, we're going to worship at what he's given us, goodness and mercy that have pursued us all the days of our life, 
We're going to worship in the fact that we have a permanent occupancy to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in light of that, we're going to worship by coming and taking, eating, and remembering his body broken for us and his blood shed for us and his invitation that we get to participate by his good pleasure in the kingdom that he's promised and provided for us. That kingdom is yours because the work was done in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this glorious truth this morning. We thank you that we get to uh, celebrate in the promise that your goodness and mercy pursue us and chase us and and track us down, um, not because of our need of it nearly as much as because it's your promise and your faithfulness um, that does that work. Lord, we're grateful that we have an invitation um, to a permanent place of occupancy uh, dwelling with you forever. Lord, teach us how good your dwelling place is. Teach us how good your mercy and kindness and goodness is. Lord, teach us how much of a blessing it is to be able to say that we always find ourselves invited and seated and dining at the table that you prepare for us. Lord, remind us that your table welcomes us in no matter what season we're in. And Jesus, I pray that we walk away from here, not just today, but even in future days, and that you are uh, remind us of the collection of testimonies we have of, I remember this meal. I remember this meal. I remember this meal. I remember this day. And every single one of them, every single one of them that we can account for being in your presence at your table, dwelling with you. Lord, as we come to communion, uh, may remind, just remind our hearts uh, of, the, of the work you've done for us, your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. And may we take it and remember you And may we take, eat, and participate in the kingdom and the life you've blessed us with. It's in your name we pray. Amen.